yeah, there's really no uh, right or wrong way to do agriculture if you're successful in it. Uh, you've probably got a method, and we're not going to argue with that. Yeah. So, unless you're like, I don't know, like, I don't know, just dumping like oil into your ground or something. I'm just kidding. I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of makes people angry with that. So, don't destroy your land. That's the only thing. Just don't destroy it. <laughs> That's right. Try to leave it better than you found it. I yeah. think most people are trying to. I also agree. People don't believe me when I say that, but I was just like, cover crops everywhere. People take care of their soil. There's a reason everyone soil tests every single year. It's because they're not like, they're trying to do a good job, people. They are. I mean, they want to make the most money they can on their farm. And they want to protect that. You know, that's their biggest assets that they have. And they want to protect that uh, asset. And they want it to earn uh, money for their, you know, the future generations of the farm or yeah. for the next owner of the farm yeah i just yeah i think people <laughs> i i was listening i just finished a book that i would like to do a review on at some point i'd like to have the guy who wrote it on here but will harris's uh, a return to giving a damn is what it's called i mean it's a regen ag book it's all about pros and cons of regen ag all the inputs that you're now reducing and all these things and it's I really liked the the boldness of the book. I really enjoyed how passionate he was about the topic and overall how how much of like a push it is for people to be more involved in their food system. And I'm like, we've talked about that before. Like I'm all for that sort of stuff. I do kind of draw the line of is like, if, if it is as profitable, like, and he says, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have to cut some of your profits if you're going to do it this way. Like just that's the reality of it. And he's built a very good, kind of niche empire when it comes to the direct consumer sales of he has sold a lot of beef to a lot of people across the country and now sold lots of other things at a higher profit margin than you would get taking it to a normal market so he's he's got a wonder it's a super cool book it's super cool business you know i don't agree with everything but i be a fool if i only listen to people i agree with all the time so i i'd highly recommend it but the thing is is it comes down to is if if there is a more efficient and profitable way to do something than people or farmers specifically they're going to figure out how to do it because they're going to figure out how to maximize their their money they're putting into the farm they're not going to you know just dump money down a hole it's like hey like if there is a way to reduce input costs they're going to want to do it but until it makes sense on the profit side of things guys don't want to switch over it's like there has to be a reason for it and there has to be a profitable reason for it because if not they don't survive unless the government starts paying for our food which is what people complain about with subsidies anyways and so anyways i've been up since uh 1 in the morning guys so if i'm rambling sorry uh let's let's talk about hunting let's talk about uh hunting and land and all that that has to do with it um neil you're a much more avid hunter than i so what are your uh what are you thinking about all this stuff you know i i love hunting it's been a part of my whole entire life uh it's a big part of kentucky uh culture and here specifically in the area i'm in the confluence area uh duck hunting has always been big uh, deer hunting uh turkey hunting um has all been around my whole entire lifetime and uh you know my I hear the old men talk here, which uh, the World War II generation is beginning to die out. But um, that generation was the the first ones that duck hunted here, and they were, you know, they were also market hunters. So you hear of all the lore when you're growing up here of uh, of uh, the glory days, and and I, I guess I lived through part of those in my life. But yeah, it is a huge part of 
of the culture and, and my life in general. I don't get to enjoy it like I used to because I, uh, the, I'm tied to the farm so heavily now, but um, I do still have love for it and I, I, I do still keep up with the industry and as a whole and uh, just what the locals are doing here. So it's in this area, you know, the glory days have passed and uh, especially post-COVID, I think COVID brought a bunch of new outdoorsmen into the space, which <clears throat> is a good thing overall, you know, because we are going to see uh, hunting probably uh, die out with the woke culture. But COVID, um, I think, brought a lot of people back into the outdoor space and it created a lot of new hunters and a lot of new outdoorsmen. And it, it has uh, hurt the, you know, the quality of the game. Um, overall, I think, especially in the East where it's already a crowded arena uh, before COVID and then post-COVID you got all the new hunters uh, and the, let's face it, the hunting industry has done a marvelous job of marketing mm -hmm. that industry and uh, making high quality videos and um, like where people didn't even know about the sport before start watching the videos and then they're like, hey, that looks fun. I think I might try that, you know, so. Oh yeah, hunting has all the best videographers i personally have met all the best people in marketing i've ever met all are in the hunting industry you know some people are like oh well sports is this huge and it's like no hunting is just it just the the industry itself is just so marketed so heavily because it is cool it's like the same thing with like uh western and ranching it's just so easy to market such a cool looking thing it's like yeah you're hiking through the woods and a super cool looking camo with guns it's like yeah that just looks really cool oh yeah you got all the factors together combining to make something you know but it's the same thing as like farming and ranching like well it's actually really hard to be good at it you know it a lot is. of people can get out there and shoot you know shoot a buck or a doe with a rifle you get to bow hunting, it's like, okay, well, you actually have to be, like, really good at this to, like, yeah. actually kill anything. You know, and I think social media has hurt the, just the whitetail herd a little bit. It, the age structure in general, people want to get a good-looking deer and put it on Facebook. They wind up killing a two-year-old ten-pointer, you know. And, uh, you know, a deer really needs four to six years to, to you know, be mature and uh, for the age structure to be correct. And um, But people can't struggle to wait that long you know and they think well the neighbor's going to shoot the buck and they end up shooting the buck and what it does is um you know it hurts the overall size of the herd and uh and then your best hurt uh, your best deer are getting selected early uh for removal you know tagged or whatever and it hurts the overall quality of the buck and um i think that along with we've we've lost habitat too here in the uh, eastern U.S. due to development and um, you know a lot of our grasslands have been removed and the f and uh, deer are you know they're they are in, they do best in the open country I mean they like the woods but they like um, a grassland with savanna type I guess you know where you have scattered trees throughout grassland that's what a whitetail really thrives in and a lot of that has been removed and replaced with crops or forest so Will the deer live in that type of situation? Yeah, but it's hurt the herd some. What do you think so. the answer to that is? So, you know, I think, I don't know if there is a great answer to this. I think um, if people, ad you know, adopted like shelter belt type uh, habitat onto their farms and ranches, it would help some. Um, 
part of it is just, you know, like with the new boom in hunting and uh, the young hunter that hasn't yet fully understood, you know, like say he started in 2019, well, it takes him a little while to get his feet under him and to understand how to manage his habitat. And I think, I think it, as time goes, you'll probably see those new hunters uh, learn, um, you know, what it takes to build a quality deer herd. And I think some of the problem will fix itself over time. I think you're already hearing, uh, like I listen to some hunting podcast, and it's uh, it's not only a problem here in Kentucky, it's just a nationwide problem. And I think uh, when you start having problems like this and then the smart people start talking about it, um, you know, over time that problem corrects itself because you have uh, people talking about it and then the young guys learn uh, what they should be doing to manage their herd and uh, it's fixed through education, you know, which is how it should be. And um, I think, too, the as you get um, pressure on political leaders and or uh the regulators from the overall public trying to you know drive quality into their deer herd because ultimately deer are worth quite a bit of money you know to lease or to sell tags and if the state is you know harvesting like ohio for instance harvest a lot of really good white-tailed deer so that uh you know brings a lot of people into the state with money to harvest those white-tailed deer and other states are jealous. They want a herd like Ohio. So ultimately, the pressure is on the politician to uh, regulate uh, the game so that the herd improves. You so know. you're telling me that just like crops and cattle, deer are commodities too? Deer are definitely <laughs> commodities. And uh, I how, think. How does that work in Ohio? Like, what's the what's the process behind that because i i know a little but i don't really know much like what what do you what does it mean by harvest deer okay so harvest deer would just be taking and tagging a deer um so it would be uh harvesting the deer is killing the deer and then uh like in any state in the country if there's a uh huntable deer herd they they sell a tag you know some states have like an over-the-counter draw um, where the uh, the hunter or the uh, potential hunter puts in for a, a lottery style tag, and so many tag you know the biologist looks and you know hey we have say two thousand deer to harvest in this county that would safely maintain the herd mm-hmm. at the level we wanted at, so they put in uh, you know a draw and say 3,000 hunters put in for that tag and only 2,000 tags available, well then, uh, you know, there'll be 1,000 hunters without a tag, but that leaves uh, 2,000 deer that can be tagged. And of course, all those deer, not every hunter is gonna be successful. You know, ultimately there's only a certain amount of those tags that'll be filled. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's kind of how it works. And every some, like Kentucky is over the counter. So if, you know, here in our state, if you're an, uh, if you're a, or a um, resident, you, you have a buck and a doe tag that you can buy. And then if you harvest your buck and, and your doe and you want another additional doe, you can buy an additional over-the-counter doe tag. Uh, one buck tags you out in the state of Kentucky. And uh, non-residents are 
the exact same. Uh, I think the tag will cost you about $50 more as a non-resident, but uh, you can come from any state or country for that matter, and as long as you're uh, legal to have a far firearm and of age, you can buy over-the-counter buck tag or doe tag and harvest a white-tailed deer in the state of Kentucky. And every state's different, you know, mm-hmm. but everyone has a little bit different regulation. Um, but that's kind of how it works. So harvesting a deer is just killing a deer and tagging it. So why why does uh, why does hunting relate? Like, what does it have to do with agriculture? Like, what? Which I mean, more or less, they are all managed at the federal level as very similar type things. But also, like, even just as you know, like a farmer, you know, what is was what does being involved in hunting mean, and why does that matter? Well, you know, I think um, I think part of the reason it matters here in America is it's part of our our heritage and our culture you know at one time uh you know we were a wilderness type uh country and we do have a lot of wilderness space here but this was a pioneered country you know there was uh already natives living here um but as the european and uh and whatever country you know immigrated here they had to pioneer into the wilderness and with that, uh, part of the way they were able to pioneer was the abundance of game in North America. And, um, you know, with that abundance of game um, brought a culture with it. You know, people that had the ability to uh, trap and hunt uh, and be able to cut their living out of that land without, a, you know, like a food source that is brought into them on truck or by train or whatever they were able to go out onto the wilderness land and you know with the abundance that was available uh through wild game they cut a living out with that and i think you know over the time um even though uh we have one of the most you know modern food industries in the world that heritage has remained you know and i think that's important for our local communities um just because of that you know i mean heritage is important and i think you know that's why one of the big reasons it's uh you know the farmer and his family has hunted and it's an important part of the farm um you know as the industry has gotten big the hunting industry has gotten bigger uh, and farms have looked for ways to diversify their income, and they have huge holdings of a lot of these families have huge holdings of land now, more than they could hunt their uh, for their self. Um, you know, they still hunt part of their land, but they realize that that's a resource uh, that can add an income source to their farm, and it also allows uh, you know for more hunting land for the hunter that wants to hunt it. So it does it's it's good for the farmer or rancher because he's able to you know have an additional source that's not tied to a commodity um i guess it is a certain commodity deer is a commodity it's a meat uh you know so it is similar to a cow but i mean it's a wild resource that he isn't actively having to manage um other than he's just limiting the amount of hunters on his you know he doesn't want to kill his whole deer herd out or or whatever species it is on his farm but he wants to be able to utilize that for his income and uh and it is beneficial for the hunter because he's got a good private you know area that is managed for uh 
crops or cows that the deer benefit from. So good overall for both parties. So what keeps like you from not just like clear cutting every tree on your property and just planting more crops there? You know, I mean, that, that's a huge question. And in the state of Kentucky, you know, you have seen massive clearing efforts over the last 10 years. Um, us personally, you know, we could, uh, you know, we could, we have the capability to lay waste to every tree, but, um, you know, the beauty of the trees here in Kentucky keeps us from just laying waste to every tree. And ultimately we, you know, we do lease some of our land out for deer hunting. Um, and we don't want to destroy that, uh, resource that we have, you know, and deer hunting doesn't earn us a lot of money per se, but it, we also, we love to watch the white-tailed deer and, uh, you know, and turkey. And we realize if you knock out all the habitat and you just left cropland, um, that's not beneficial for the wildlife, you know. So you don't want to destroy the resource, and um, we recognize that. And I think, you know, here in the state of Kentucky, um, even though there has been a lot of ground cleared, there is still ground devoted to habitat only, um, especially here in this county. You know, you have a lot of recreational hunters that have bought land here in this county. I would think there's probably around, I would dare to say maybe 40% of the ground here in this county is recreationally owned for and managed for habitat. So, and I think there's a lot of counties like that that have a, um, you know, like they have a huge tie over the course of time to the to the land through hunting, and that's where the recreational hunters kind of go to, where it's already uh, habitat has been abundant in the past for wild game. Those areas are highly desired by outdoorsmen, and they come into those areas and they buy that land, and it ultimately is protected from farming development just because the recreational guy isn't concerned about the income that's coming off the farm. He's concerned about the habitat that's on the farm. He wants quality habitat so he can have a quality deer herd or a turkey flock or whatever, quail, whatever it is he desires to hunt, you know. So it's all worked out, I think. You know, I think a big part of our, um, the lower quality of our white-billed deer herd in the last five years is just due to, I mean, part of it is habitat loss, but part of it is just the new hunter that's come into the equation through COVID. So what do you think about uh, wolf hunting? You've been on more uh, big game hunts than I've ever been yeah. on. But I used to live in an area where wolves were very controversial <laughs> because they do uh, kill calves. They do kill cattle. And they, especially at least where we were, we were just, as the crow flies north of Yellowstone, they were kind of sick animals. I mean, they, they would kill for fun sometimes. I mean, I haven't. I mean, I don't have too many good accounts of it, but I've heard plenty of secondhand accounts of, yeah, they killed it and left it because they were bored. Yeah, you they're kind of similar to humans in that way. You know, they're they're very intelligent animals, and uh, they will definitely kill for sport or whatever versus for need. And, uh, yeah, I think it's controversial both ways. You know, you have the person that um, sees the wolf as, the as uh, you know, completely wild, almost untamable, and, uh, you know, like, it's, they get that picture in their mind of that freedom that the wolf has. And I think it, uh, you know, there's a kinsmanship there that people, 
especially it makes them super emotional if, to think about a wolf being killed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in what I do know is uh, in those western areas where the wolf has been reintroduced and, um, you know, and habitat destruction has taken place in those areas because of, you know, development, housing, ski uh, resorts, whatever, you name it, the, um, there's already limited habitat for your elk, deer, you, you know, whatever species you like. Uh, and then you add the wolf on top of the hunter and habitat destruction. And all three of those factors have really played, uh, you know, in a, in a herd reduction, you know, over time. And those areas that have introduced that wolf, you have two sides. You have the uh, cattle rancher hunter that act, despises the wolf, and then you have the hiker or nature watcher that loves the wolf, you know, and they are both very passionate about their side. And, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to, um, if you're a hunter, it's hard to side with the, you know, because you just know that it's hard to side with a person that just wants to protect the wolf because you know in these areas that every herd, regardless of what it is, whether it's an elk or a deer or a wolf, needs to be managed, mm-hmm. you know. And wolves are an apex predator, and but they can produce lots of other apex predators, you know, because they can have huge litters. and um, So if they're not actively hunted, they can just basically take the area over and then they can totally destroy the herds there's nothing left yeah. to hunt yeah and that's something that uh, yellowstone's done a pretty good job at but there's that conversation that doesn't get talked about like, like hey if we don't manage the wolves the wolves will take ever they they will kill populations yes. they will and once you do that especially deer and elk are so specifically those two ruminant type animals are so needed to distribute fertilizer and seeds in back into ecosystems by eating and pooping that if we started to remove some of that we start to turn a lot of our land into a desert yeah you know, there's a, there's never that conversation of like we you think droughts are bad now take a couple hundred thousand animals out of there from grazing i mean there's just a huge and so it's it's the same thing though it's it's i think there's the fear behind it too it's like well we did basically kill all the wolves at one point yeah that's something we probably shouldn't have done but when cattle were king and there was a lot of money going for cows like yeah you want to you want to protect your herd you want to do everything you can to keep your investment safe you know so it's very logical why that happened doesn't make it right but it's logical why it happened and so now there's that balance that needs to be struck it's like hey wolves should be a part of the ecosystem um and if they are we need to reduce the number of people who are allowed to hunt you know there's that reality it's like hey like we need to we need to manage this population somehow, and uh, yeah, I just think there's there's usually that conversation that's forgotten. If they're going to be the apex predator, then we need to stop being the apex predator. That's right. You you really can't. You know, I mean, which if, I mean, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the people who protect wolves probably were like, yeah, that's okay with us too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and ultimately that's true. I mean, if you're a wolf protector and you you just you're like, hey, we want all things natural here, you know the ecosystem be 100% natural, then the hunter has to go away because ultimately the wolf is the apex predator, um, you know. And But, I mean, you 
you know, this is the thing that, um, you know, the outdoorsman brings so much money into the into the government economy. Mm-hmm. It's hard to ever regulate the hunter out. Yeah. Um, well, it's like, okay, so we don't, it's like, okay, we either have people pay us to manage our herds or we have to pay a government employee to go do that anyways. You know, that's the, that's the balance of the strikes. Like, okay, we either have people pay us to go kill these animals that we need to manage anyways, or, you know. I think that's kind of the approach British Columbia and Canada is taking. You know, they, um, and I think, well, you can. You can buy a wolf tag in British Columbia, um, but the government act is actually hiring professional hunters uh, to manage the wolf herd because just tagging wolves alone with the hunter uh, hasn't been super successful. You know, wolves are smart. They're very intelligent. Um, and ultimately, there's not enough hunters to manage. Uh, well, not to mention, it's just, it's hard to kill a wolf. I, I Quick little story here. I, there's a guy I know in Montana, and once again, story I heard secondhand, who was a ranch manager, and so he was managing a lot of land, new land really well, and there was this, like, serial killer wolf, basically, that had just been causing a problem over a number of ranches, and so, you know, Fish and Game heard about it more than a few times, they're like, we're pretty sure it's the same wolf, it has the same tendencies, he's been, you know, if we track all these sightings, like, okay, he's clearly moving across this territory, and so they called this one guy, I was like, hey, we know you know your land really well, and we know you have a couple guys who really like driving around in side-by-sides, you know, like, could you, for the next couple weeks, pay some guys just to be out in the evenings looking for these things and so government was paying this guy to basically bounty hunt wolves just because it's like it that it was that much of a problem it's like okay you can sit here and you know it's like oh we need to let the wolves do the things like well government themselves are like hey well we got to get rid of this guy because it's causing a problem which also another thing i learned last week which i think i had heard before but the government has to reimburse ranchers or whatever whatever livestock or damage there was caused by predators like wolves or like protected animals like wolves or eagles the government has to reimburse the rancher for that yeah so it could get pretty costly you know i know in like british columbia where they're still actively grazing that crown land you know government-owned land um they let those cattle uh, go into those wilderness areas uh, during the summertime and then the snowfall drives them back down in in the uh, fall, and they were getting huge depredation. You know, they don't go up there and check on those cows during the summer, mm-hmm. uh, and they were getting huge depredation happening from the wolf. You know, and so, um, you know, ultimately the government is like, "Hey, we got to stop this somehow," and and that's what they've done. They've chose to hire you know those hunters to go up in there and manage that wolf herd down some. They'll tag the wolf with a uh, you know, radio collar, and then they can basically follow them around and maybe not eradicate the, uh, you know, the wolf uh, group totally, but they will, they're the pack, but they'll, you know, get it back under a, into a controlled number. So, they, there's it, Is Fish and Game under USDA? Uh, I think Fish and Game is under USDA. I think so. I yeah. think it's part of the forest forestry department typically which would be usda yeah yeah they manage our uh you know i know like kentucky's wmas are basically a division of the uh, forestry department which is ultimately the usda yeah that's what i thought because i yeah interesting i'll have to research that more because we have you know we have our state run we have dnr in iowa and we had dnr in montana but there was also uh 
forest service fishing game services i'll have to look into that more and see yeah. how that breaks down i know here in ballard you know we have the uh you know the local uh game wardens that kentucky supplies but we also have federal game wardens too that you know they're uh employed by the federal government and they and but they um regulate well of course they regulate federal law but they can write you for a state law too if you're breaking a state law and they come and check you and you're out of regulation you could be ticketed for it from a federal officer you know so they help to uh to enforce state laws as well as federal laws well anything else you want to talk about hunting I mean, I'm not. I'm not an expert on this topic. I've only been out a few times. You know, I haven't made it out in the past I, two years. So. I, I think it. You know, I think it's kind of interesting uh, to talk about ducks just a little bit. I know there's a lot of duck hunters, um, and I, you know, in this county, if I, 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 I just have personal friends that listen to the podcast, and they're like, "Hey, you talked about deer, but you didn't talk about ducks at all." And here in you know Ballard County, uh, where we're located. We have the confluence of the Ohio and the Mississippi River, and we also have the Tennessee and the Cumberland very close by. So you have lots of rivers tying into this area. Lots of, uh, you know, we're on the New Madrid Fault, and um, in with that uh, fault, we have a lot of low-lying ground um, that was disrupted by the earthquake, and it created like an oxbow type of lake or slough. And uh, so you have all the rivers, and then these oxbow sloughs and swamps here. And so it's just made a perfect uh, habitat over the years for the mallard duck and several different duck species were also located right on that, right on a major flyway. And, um, you know, over the course of time, uh, ducks have adapted to the hunter. You know, um, everybody just hunted them at one time on the rivers and the oxbow sloughs and creeks, but then uh, as the sport became more popular, those spots were all taken up. So you had the hunter coming into the, uh, the, the bottoms further away from the sloughs, building artificial uh, water impoundments, planting corn in them, and then leaving the corn unharvested, and the ducks would come and eat the corn, and then the hunter would shoot the duck. Well, the duck has learned uh, that the hunter is hiding in the cornfield, and they have, uh, you know, gone around that by coming after hours. And they sit around on the, the oxbow sloughs and uh, lakes and rivers. And then at dark, once the hunter goes to his house, they go to the free smorgasbord of the cornfield and eat it. Isn't it crazy how smart an animal like a duck is that they can, like, think about stuff like that? You like, know, I, I, I heard... Maybe I think just instinctually there's, like, I know I shouldn't be there at this time because my... You know, my buddy got killed over there. <laughs> so I think this is super cool. So um, I heard a story that said the Native Americans used to wear feathers um, because birds were so in tune uh, with, uh, you know, the electromagnetic field of the earth that they used ley lines from the field of the earth to know, you know, whether to travel north or south or east or west, depending on a storm or a season. And... Um, they also have like kind of a hive mind through that electromagnetic field that the uh, their feathers pick up on. Um, so like they can communicate telepathically um, with each other through that electromagnetic, uh, and, that, and that's one reason the Native Americans wore feathers is because the Native Americans had realized that they had some type of um, 
sense or uh, instinct uh, that was driven by these, you know. Can someone with a science degree check that for me? Uh, that's uh, pretty amazing, isn't it? I, I don't know if I believe it. It sounds a little wild. I, <laughs> that's pretty cr- That's. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I would like to fact check that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's some, I don't know. I don't, I'm sure there's somebody that's checked something like that out before, but it is a pretty, uh, you know, crazy thing to think about. I also heard a story about um, one of these oceanographers or whatever that has a similar theory to that on, with dolphins, you know, where they can, can communicate with each other uh, by telepathy or some type of instinct that, uh, that is not visible, you know, or audible that we can't hear maybe. So, I, th- I mean, nature is an amazing created, uh, you know, it, it's hard to argue to me, this is, this is uh, totally off the subject of hunting, but like when you're just talking about nature in general, it's hard to argue that it's not a created thing. And mm-hmm. it's, it just didn't evolve from a rock or a, you know, it, it, had to be built by a creator there's so many little microsystems in every uh you know in every living being and in every ecosystem you know it looks to be created mm-hmm. yeah there's too many little too many little things that affect other things it's it just happened to happen you know? yeah it's like that's yeah so. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe that a amoeba crawled up on a beach one day and eventually developed into a chimpanzee and into a human I just the way things work it 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 doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me if you don't if you take the creator out of the picture yeah well i think it was i think it was stephen hawking who said at the end of his life it's like i've been studying the cosmos and physics and the stars all my life and i can't argue that this is not that there wasn't something else out there yeah. that did all this because it's you know it's just yeah it's hard to look at and say yeah like the more you learn you're like oh man that is that's be really 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 coincidental if all that happened <laughs> it would be you know but yeah getting back to the the duck thing uh, you know i mean it's it's similar to white-tailed deer where there's a lot of hunters and there's uh there's not a lot of habitat um you know left for the the whitetail or for the uh, mallard duck so it you know or any duck for that matter so it it is uh it's hurt the overall quality of hunting over time and um but it doesn't seem to be any less popular you know and i think that's probably a continuing trend like the the species uh or the ducks haven't have evolved to uh, avoid the hunting pressure and um and then not to say that there's not days where they're not successful because, you know, with anything like ducks or deer, weather is a big determining factor. And if they get hungry, you know, they're going to be out foraging for food and, and allows the hunter the opportunity to take his duck and um, feed his seal. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So what's the, like... What happens if we kill them all? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I don't think that'll ever be a problem. That's, um, I think there has, you know, there has been a, a, probably quite a bit of habitat destruction um, just with develop, you know, with the, with the ducks, 
a lot of it is about development along the river system, you know. Um, it's not anything that farming has, uh, has really hurt because we're not trying to farm that type of land. It's just the cities have grown up along the rivers, and that has taken and a lot of the habitat away from the, from the ducks. And then um, in the northern areas, um, just I think the quality of the nesting ground is kind of, you know, has been hurt a little bit with the tiling and, um, you know, not as many prairie potholes as there used to be. And those pothole areas were heavily utilized by the ducks and geese to uh, nest. And as those have gone away, the nesting ground has gone away. And then the habitat down south has been taken by cities and all that combined has hurt the overall population. But we've seen the ducks have, you know, they have, the hunter, I feel like, doesn't have a lot of ability to hurt them anymore just because they've adapted to the hunter. They've realized where the hunters hunt them and what time of day they're hunted. And, uh, you know, and they have adapted to that. They've become uh, nocturnal or they fly at the low light hours. and feed at those times and they're able to escape the hunting pressure so they've adapted yeah maybe they have hive mind with those feathers maybe <laughs> maybe there's a big old bird telephone te network out there <laughs> yeah. saying hey i saw a hunter over here steer clear it's yeah. like hey you know this guy's been out you know every day you know maybe come out a little later you know, if you're flying through this area but all right well we're gonna wrap it up then um thank you guys for listening to another podcast um Please like and share and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we'd appreciate that for sure. We just hit a thousand subscribers today as of recording, which is exciting. Yeah, so that's exciting. It's Wait, cool that's to it's cool to see see that continue. Go met. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool. And so we want the podcast to keep growing as well. Um, podcasting is a very saturated space, and so the more you guys can like and share, the the higher we get recommended in algorithms and things like that, and the more people will listen um, because we. We want this to be helpful and beneficial. And yeah. so we really want to we want to offer a lot of value from this. And so For we're sure. sorry we're not more experts on more things. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> I, I enjoy just uh, just rambling. You know, it's fun to talk and uh, to discuss different topics. And, um, yeah, I like, share, and subscribe. We appreciate your support. Yeah. Also, if you know anyone that you would like to have on this podcast who might be either – expert or credible or just fun to talk to in the first place just comment their name below send us a message on instagram or i don't know whatever other apps we're on you know just get a hold of us we'd love to have more people on so if you made it this far thank you um this was the real act or just the actual podcast all right thanks guys thanks, thanks.